The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome. It's nice to see everyone here. I know some of you, but not all of you. So I look forward to spending uh, the time together today on these wonderful teachings. So this day long, I entitled it uh, Widening the Range. And then as the, um, I thought of that a while ago. And then as the time went along, I thought, wow, what is it that I really mean by that? So it's been, um, yeah, it's been good to, to look at that. So what is this range that we're talking about? Consider that there are various areas of life or situations where you probably feel generally at ease. Everyone has this to some degree, even if you're thinking, I never feel at ease. But there are moments or situations where we feel at ease. We may feel spacious or open, responsive, relaxed. And if you you know, just call up to mind some of these kinds of situations, you may realize that they don't actually have to be entirely pleasant. That's not only, that's not the only criterion. Like, for example, we may feel a wonderful sense of warmth and giving uh, when our child is sick. So that's not necessarily pleasant, but there can be that feeling of being connected and there. And then in contrast, of course, consider that there are situations or areas of life where we don't feel this way. We may feel anxious or tense, um, uneasy or irritated in some way that is causing us to struggle a little bit with the situation or feeling stressful. And so uh, that last part is important, is that we're struggling in some way. That is actually a reasonable indication of what's called dukkha or often translated as suffering, but I think for today we'll consider a better translation of that term to be stress or struggle. If you say to people, you know, do you really feel like you're suffering? Some people will say yes and some will say no. But if you say, would you like to struggle less with your life? I think almost everyone says yes. So this is what we're looking at. There are these kinds of situations where we feel uneasy or somewhat stressed, we may not even be able to remain mindful. Those are the ones where we look back and say, oh, wow, and we wake up later and then say, oh, I really lost it at that time or I just couldn't be there. So I'll share just one personal instance of this. At the, near the beginning of my practice, I was just starting to experiment with going in and talking to the teacher. <laughs> and um, I was seeing a teacher who had short interviews. Um, and I went in for one interview, and I, was, I just felt kind of nervous. I didn't really know what to do. And I, tried, I did my best. I tried to share about my practice and listen to what the teacher said. But um, the intensity of being in the room with this teacher um, became overwhelming to me. And I actually kind of got up and ran out of the interview. And I don't think I did it right in the middle of saying something. But it was like at the end, I didn't really quite come to a good close to that interview. And I looked back and I thought, wow, you know, I just, I kind of lost mindfulness and um, lost the ability to stay present, literally, literally to the point of leaving the room. And so I decided that I was going to explore that. Uh, Already I had investigation in my practice, and I came back to that same teacher um, sometime later and asked for another interview. And at that interview I said, I don't want to actually talk about my practice. I just want to sit here with you. The teacher said, okay. And so uh, I sat in silence looking at the teacher and just being really aware of what was happening inside me for about 12 minutes out of the 15, just silently sitting there, often with eye contact, sometimes not, but really mindful of what was happening in my body. It was a lot of fear. uh, And I just felt it. I just felt it playing out. And you got to the point where it was near the end of the time. And so 
some some semblance of normal social interaction came back to me and I said I was just checking you know I would really wanted to look at this fear that I have and I've realized that it's entirely internal you know it's being generated by me it's not uh, there's no cause for it besides that and I was able to come to a close and leave the interview so um Notice that what changed, I mean, there wasn't a huge time gap between these two interviews, but what changed was how I went into it and how I perceived it and how I viewed it in my mind. That made a huge difference. Now, my experience was still challenging. I was still a little bit intimidated and overwhelmed by being with a powerful teacher. But um, my view of it completely changed my actions and also how... Um, how I felt the experience was for me, right? And so one important aspect of mindfulness practice is that it widens the range of experiences that we can be present for with some kind of awareness and clarity. And I think we know this. Even if we haven't practiced for very long, we may have experienced something like this. If we're in a state that's reactive, then we're acting from fear or anger or greed or envy or pride or whatever our favorite hindrance or (laughs) poison is. But if we're in a non-reactive state, then we're able to act with positive or wholesome qualities, compassion, wisdom, mindfulness, patience, you know, like I was holding myself during that period of fear with a lot of those qualities. So the aim for today is to look at this transformation from reactive, running out of the room in whatever form, you know, or an unmindful, to being able to stay present in some way. We're going to look at that process that goes on in the mind that has the effect of widening this range. So my aim is for it to be experiential and... I'm going to do, of course, some talking and teaching around this topic, but I want mainly to teach through uh, guided meditation. We're going to do four different types of meditation today, and all of them are designed to modify our perception of and our relationship with what's going on in our mind. And this, as you may have seen from the example I just gave of the my interview experience, This is where the freedom and also the bondage lies. You know, this is where it is. It's in how we're relating. So perception and view are very important. Bondage, um, I mean, uh, being caught in reactivity. And, um, yeah, bound to only follow our habitual mental patterns. I'll say more about that in a moment. It's a good question. And there will also be a chance for some reflection in small groups. Um, So if you really like that, you'll get some. And if you really don't like it, don't worry. It's not the emphasis of the day. But I would also encourage you to maybe to take the attitude that I had about the interview and see how it is to do a small group discussion if you haven't done that before. So in terms of the teachings, you know, the structure of what the Buddha offered us, one good structure or lens for understanding this this widening of the range is the Four Noble Truths, which we're going to see unfold throughout the day. So the teaching on the Four Noble Truths is, of course, uh, larger than that. I don't want you to go away thinking that this is the only way to understand the Four Noble Truths, but it is one instance of it, one way to to work with it. So if you're looking for some practical application, you know, maybe you've read them and think these are kind of abstract Uh, They are very realistic and very experienceable, which we will do today. I will give along the way some references uh, for these practices in the written teachings, but the particular combination uh, and arrangement that I've put together today is just something that I've found to be beneficial. So there is an unfolding of the teachings today, um, and you'll get the most benefit if you can can stay for all the day, but of course your schedule is what it is, and so we are also recording. Um, And I'll maybe give a little summary at the beginning of the afternoon in case some folks arrive for just that part, but um, it is all of a piece. (laughs) So let me talk also about um, 
a term that I used in the description for this day, which was I said that we've uh, spent a lot of time building walls. And I want to clarify what is meant by walls. That was a a word that I felt encapsulated um, enough of what I wanted to say that I, I used it in the short description, but it actually stands for a range of things that I want to just clarify. So... Um, do you guys have kind of an intuitive sense? I mean, you came to this day long, so something resonated for you. Do you have kind of an intuitive sense of what a wall is? Have you ever felt something like that in your mind or your body or your practice? Raise your hand if you have some sense. Yeah, so a few people. So let me talk through it a bit, and you'll see how it resonates, and um, we can explore it together today. But in my experience, walls, quote-unquote, can manifest as literal physical tensions in the body. So, for example, it doesn't have to be a wall like something flat, um, but it could be a tight spot. Sometimes There are references in the text to knots in the body, and these are, um, you know, literally places that feel tense. And so, you know, with our understanding of Western ideas, we might say, oh, I have something in the muscle or the joint, Maybe, and it might physically manifest there. But when we're sitting in meditation, just sitting quietly, we may feel these, um, Gil sometimes calls them coagulations also. So these are not, um, these are recognized. You know, this is, this is some kind of a blockage. So that's one manifestation. Another is that you may not have those. Not everyone does. Another manifestation is that we can have blockages in our mind. And they're felt more in the mind. They feel like pressure um, or confusion or a darkening or narrowing of our thinking. And these can occur even outside of meditation. Like I would say that in my interview experience, I was having a mental blockage because I was there, but I I definitely felt kind of this pressure, this confusion, uh, this agitation because of somehow the intensity of the encounter in, that I was in. And so that, we may also feel that in meditation as kind of mental tension. Or when we think about certain memories, we feel the mind contracting or darkening in some way. So you may experience that. Um, and then another type of wall, if I may stretch the term a little more, is our habitual reactive patterns, which become repetitive patterns in our life. So this one I think almost everybody will have seen in some way. So we may have a tendency toward shutting down or toward anger, you know, again and again. We look back and say, oh, I got angry again. Um, Something like that, a tendency to flee, (laughs) like I did. Or um, various self-views, like a tendency to always blame ourselves in some way. And we we know it's a pattern, but we keep doing it. Um, or we may see that we say we keep getting the same job again and again. We keep getting into the same relationship again and again. If you've had a long enough life, you may have noticed patterns like that. And when we do that, um, the feeling, you know, what is the wall-like feeling? It's that it feels like we're falling into a channel or a slot. It's like... The mind goes in and then it, it runs down that slope like a, you know, like a bobsled going down the channel in the mountain. It can't go anywhere else. And so there's this feeling because our attention isn't strong enough that we're, we're between these walls and we just have to go. We just have to repeat that behavior. So that's another feeling. So if I may um, be, uh, <laughs> if you would grant me the... Um, breadth of the word wall, it would be physical tension, some kind of mental blockage, or a habitual pattern. All of these feel like stuckness in our practice. It feels like there that is again, or there's that tension again. It's blocking me in some way. So it's a visceral feeling. Um, So now that I've described it a bit, does anybody uh, again have a sense of some of this? Yeah, I see some hands and some nods. So um, what I'll offer as a premise is that this stuckness is a manifestation of clinging. So that's the second noble truth, that clinging is the cause of suffering, or the when clinging arises, suffering arises. This may be more accurate. And also, therefore, the first noble truth, because we cling when we're suffering. You know, we cling around the suffering. It's both the, almost both the cause and the effect. So clinging is struggle, and struggle is dukkha. So, 
I'll just add one caveat, which is that not every muscle tension and not every body pain is a is of this noble truth type. So there can be times when you really just should just take an aspirin or get the antacid or go to your doctor. <laughs> so I, I want to be clear about that. But um, there are times, and we can start to feel the difference as we practice longer. We can start to sense um, when what we're feeling in our body is of a physical nature and when it's more of a spiritual nature. Um, but even even with experience, we may still not be 100%. So always remain open and do check the medical. <laughs> um, but another thing that I'll say, and, and also to be checked for yourself, is that often these things, these patterns or tensions or blockages, have formed around some tender spot in our psyche, something that we're protecting or something that we're wanting. And it's a, a little bit of a painful thing for us and so we shut out the discomfort of that by building some kind of a wall around that could be physical could be mental could even be philosophical if we're having existential challenges through our spiritual practice so these things of course then need to be held with a lot of respect and a lot of tenderness um And we know, probably from experience, that we can't just command these things to relax. It doesn't really work to say, okay, now I've seen it, let go. Come on, let go. (laughs) Does that that actually work? No. Um, Sometimes it does. If it does, it probably wasn't a very deep one. Let's say it that way. So especially with the deeper ones... um, there's a need to bring to bear some of the tools that we're taught in our practice, tools of wise investigation, of mindfulness, of um, compassion and love, and also, critically, right view or perception. So there's a lot of um, qualities that can help us to uh, start to to work with these experiences. So there's a sutta that says... um, right view, right effort, and right mindfulness, quote-unquote, run in circle around the other factors of the Eightfold Path. It says that those ones in particular are important. So view and mindfulness are clear, and then effort, you know, of bringing the right kind of engagement to the material that we're working on. So the aim in today's meditations is to expand our ability to be with experience, also to expand your toolbox for the future. So you'll have maybe a, a wider range, if I can say, of types of meditation that you've looked at. And so they may naturally arise at moments when you need them. One thing I found about practices is that um, you, may not automa- you may not immediately in the moment say, oh, that was it, that, that really did it for me. But you can try it out and sort of get it into the system. And then at some time later, you may suddenly remember it. I I trust that movement so much in me because I read a lot and I practice some different things and listen to several teachers. And, you know, I I always just kind of take it in with a kind of a soft openness. And then sometime later, um, when I'm something is arising in my meditation, like on a retreat or even sitting at home, suddenly I might remember one of those teachings. I have a lot of trust in that memory when it comes up. So I think seeding your consciousness with these ideas is good. So I want to expand your ability to be with experience, first of all. Let's try to have that result. Expand your toolbox for the future. And also um, find some way to change perception such that these walls, what I'm this range of things that I'm calling walls, have less power. Less power to influence your mind and make you behave in certain ways. And then uh, they can eventually dissolve or transform you know, through this gentle process. It's important to note that we don't have to know exactly what each wall is about. Um, This is an issue in our highly psychologized Western culture, um, is that if we feel attention, we want to know what childhood experience put that there. Um, Maybe there was one, and maybe there wasn't one. Um, Maybe it can't be pinned on to one particular thing. First of all, maybe it can't be pinned on to one particular thing. But second, you don't actually have to know. Sometimes you're going to know, and sometimes you're not. 
So I'm sorry for all of that desire we have to know, but desire to know is one more desire. <laughs> um, not always fulfilled. So um, sometimes it's good enough just to feel for what feels, I don't know, dense or compact or stuck in our body or our mind. And we can just feel that and then just kind of work with that visceral sensation, which is what I'm going to emphasize mostly today. Um, and this is actually quite adequate in many cases. Uh, there may be images or, or stories or emotions coming through it, and those are very important to acknowledge um, and feel, especially if they're emotions. They should be felt. Um, but the stories, um, I'm going to de-emphasize today. If they come, it's okay. Um, but we're going to work in a different way. So um, maybe I'll just illustrate that with one example also my friend uh, Victor who was a dear member of this sangha for many years um, he died about five years ago of um, multiple myeloma and he had some very uh, powerful practice at the end when he was supported by his friends and using his practice to mindfully die he said that um now, it's not easy to let go of a body in a rich life like he had. And so he was going through some of that. And he he encountered these walls, and he would talk about them, maybe not using exactly the language I am today. But he, he used to say, um, it's so hard to figure out what I'm holding on to. You know, here he is dying. It's right at the end. He's got to look. But he... Um, he couldn't quite put together in his mind exactly what it was. He just felt this stuckness, this sense like, oh, I need to let go of that. Um, and he had a wonderful morning where um, he was talking with his son and he woke up in the morning and he said, I made a lot of progress last night. And he um, he felt that he had, he didn't say then what it was and list all the stories and the clarity about what his mind had been holding on to but he just said that he'd made a lot of progress he just had felt things opening and actually that was the morning that he died so we don't have to know Um, we don't have to know necessarily so I thought um, it would be helpful to uh, then since this is about our our personal blockages um to just reflect, have a few moments of reflection. So just reflect silently for yourself. What is your interest today in this topic called widening the range um, of what you can experience with calm and clarity? You can even close your eyes if you want for a moment. What is your, what is your interest? What brings you here today? Just, just see if you can know something for yourself about that. It might just be a feeling. You don't have to have it too specific. And then we could we could look further. Do you have a specific area where you would like to widen the range of non-reactivity? You know, is there some some intention around that? Or do you have a persistent tension in your body that feels like a knot or a tight spot that you've encountered in meditation for a while now? It's not required. Uh, Please don't go digging (laughs) through this prompt. Um, Everyone will benefit from today's teachings, whether you are quote-unquote working on something or not. Um, And in fact, it might... Sometimes, in some cases, you might get more out of it if you don't limit yourself to one particular idea of what you're working on. So I want to hold that very lightly. Okay, so gently coming coming back into the room, we're gonna um, we're gonna do a meditation in a moment. Um, but I thought I would give an opportunity for anyone to share anything that they would like about why they're here, or 
yeah, about why you're here, what brings you here. It's also helpful for me to be able to connect with, you know, with, with what's, I don't know, alive. What's alive for you right now? You look pretty alive. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. You can, if you could use the mic, that would be great, just in case some people can't hear, and also for the recording. I'm going on my first lengthy retreat on November 11th for a week. I've done a weekend at Tatakata in San Jose. Uh huh. So I'm trying to ease into longer practice as much as I can before then. Wonderful. This is a perfect thing. Yeah, my first more extended period of meditation was to come to a day long, and my friends asked why I was doing that, and I said, I want to see what happens if I spend a whole day doing that. How about someone else? Yeah, behind you there in the red. Yeah. Uh, For me, I have uh, recently been feeling that I'm more negative Uh about myself. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of fear in not just uh, future interactions with others, a job, work. And it just coming up, I felt the knot yeah. coming in. So it will be great to be able to better address that knot, how to resolve this feeling mm-hmm. at the same time. Because of the knot and because of negativity, I feel like I've been stuck in some stage of my life for a long time. Yeah. So it's uh, some of the agenda that I have is how to get out of this. Yeah. Do I just settle with my current status but find a mental happiness? Or is there any better way to really get out of this kind of stuck feeling and status too. I don't know if it makes sense. No. That's a great articulation because <laughs> when we're in it, we, we can't quite articulate what's what the issue is. Mm-hmm. And there's a real art form to uh, working to get out of these kinds of stucknesses. And that's what I'm trying to convey today. Mm-hmm. So, because as you know, you can't just wish it away. You also can't uh, hate it. You can't say, this is terrible, get rid of it. So, beautiful questions. Thank you. I want to ask, though, if uh, is it possible to get out of that stuckness, not just mentally, but literally from, um, does it, do you see that mentally being unstuck actually helps you being unstuck in the actual situation? Yes. Yes and yes to to all of that. It's (laughs) possible and each one feeds the other. Thank you. Yeah. There was one here. Good morning. Good morning. Um, So I've been dealing with a physical illness and have felt like I have not applied anything of my practice to it at all. It's just sort of totally thrown me off. Um, So yeah, getting working with that would be really helpful. So you could widen the range into being able to be mindful even when ill. Yes. Yeah. And then you asked about a physical tension. So I have always am working with shoulder tension and knots. Great. There's one over here. I appreciated the... the description that you gave of walls, because I think when I read it, I didn't interpret it that way. So you expanded it, uh, unpacked it for me. And and as you were describing the physical walls, um, I feel that I've been having a tension in, in um, I guess it's around the solar plexus that, um, you know, in my mind, I've been thinking, oh, it's digestive or heartburn, but uh, I don't think it is. Like it's Now that you're describing this, it's just like, oh, there is something else that mm. I would like to, to explore. Uh, so that's the physical level. Um, the more the mental uh, level and the reason why I was attracted to uh, this day long is um, I'm... Um, I'm recovering from uh, cancer 
just finished treatment. Um, and there is kind of a commonality with um, cancer patients and cancer survivors that it's so uh, incredibly difficult and brutal that in order to survive, you have to actually shrink the range of things that you can control. And so now I want to go back to life and re-expand the range of things I can take in. Mm. And it's a very challenging process. Mm -hmm. So I hope I can learn some tools. Thank you. And um, you're right in that the, um, the range that we're looking at I hope the title of today doesn't make it sound like we should always have be open to the entire range of everything. Actually, it's very skillful to be able to vary the size of our awareness, the size of our world. And there are times in our life or in our practice where it's really skillful to be very, very small and detailed. And that's actually the first meditation we're going to do is called Get Small. <laughs> and then uh, we'll also look at... So the ability to change the uh, range that we're looking at is part of wisdom. So uh, I love that you're playing with that. And yeah, thank you. And oh, just one comment when you talked about also the... You thought maybe there was digestive, but maybe something different... The, our being has a lot of different layers that are interconnected, as I'm sure you've seen having gone through a major illness. Um, and so there can be real physical levels, but we, we have to be aware that um, things like Western medicine address really literally only the physical layer. And we need that, if, obviously, if you have cancer or something. Or if you break your leg, please go to the emergency room, you know. But... Um, these things interact, and so it helps to have a more holistic view in order to, yeah, what you're doing. Great. Anybody else want to share anything? Mark, yeah. Um, I'm here to um, mostly related to workplace things where... Um, the workplace has changed, and, and I'm, I think I'm finally coming out of denial and accepting that it's changed and then questioning, am I able to change with it? Or, or in a business term, sometimes I use this word pivot. Can I pivot? And um, am I willing? I'm asking these questions. Am I willing to do it? Am I capable? And then on top of that, um, I'm, you know, I'm um, at a point where... I could potentially just leave it and um, you know retire. There's no um, there's no real milestone anymore. I, be, I believe to retirement. You know, um, it's not like anything really happens um, when this you know when this milestone comes. It's just that I I stop working at that workplace and I may take some other. Um, you know, other workplace, something related, something completely unrelated. Or it's about maybe can I shed that identity of the of the workplace I've been in for almost 20 years. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my purpose today. Great. I love that at the beginning you said um, a couple words that relate to a nice model that's sometimes used for skills. I wasn't planning to use this one today, but you've brought it in, and that um, there's kind of three things that we need in order to uh, develop ourselves in a certain way, and those would be willingness, capacity, and skill. You can see that if you're missing any of those, it's not going to work as well. So, you know, willingness, am I... Am I willing to do it? <laughs> that you have to supply internally somehow. But then even if you're willing, if you don't have the capacity, uh, it won't be possible. And so we have to build ourselves up in some way. And then even if we're strong and willing, if we don't know actually how to do it, so, you know, we don't have the, that somebody doesn't tell us what steps to do, we still might not be able to do it. So willingness, capacity, and skill and skill, those are pretty much related to, if you want a Buddhist teaching, those are pretty much related to the five faculties, um, which is another model that could have been used for today. Um, I decided to use the Four Noble Truths. So I love that you brought that in and I got to slip that teaching in, but um, it's, uh, 
yeah, you guys can see the, the relationship. Also, Gil talked about the five faculties last month, so, you know, we'll do something different today. All right. Okay, one more. And then we're going to, um, yeah, one more and then we'll meditate. I was wondering if um, one can use the wall as um, skillfulness for watching out <laughs> and so that you won't hit the wall. Oh, so I'm not sure I quite understood. What do you, how, are you, how are you thinking of the term wall then? Oh, skillfulness, like it's, um, it's actually a protection yeah, so this is, I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, if I'm talking about dissolving walls, you know, there might be a little bit of a reaction like, well, am I, am I not going to have healthy boundaries or am I not going to have um, some container for my practice? Of course you are. <laughs> We're only talking about walls in this case that are limiting us in some way. So the wall that, um, the walls that support us and help us to, uh, raise ourselves up. You know, we need a container for our practice, such as the five precepts. That's a good one, and, and also, you know, skillfulness, uh, our understanding of wisdom and compassion and how to live well. These support us, and also healthy boundaries in not allowing other people to come in and uh, divert us from what's really important. So these are not touched. Actually, these are strengthened by the practice we're doing today. You're, you're going to have better boundaries, in a sense. Uh, but the the unhealthy walls, the ones where they're limiting the unfolding of our potential, those are the ones that we're going to dissolve. Does that make sense? Yeah. You still look like I didn't quite hit your point, though. So is there more that... Um... I'm going to explore. Okay. I'd like to hear more. I, I'm sorry if I missed what you were saying. Yeah. Okay. The, okay. Since it's... Re- is it related to this one? No. Oh, related to that one. Okay, and then we ha- so then we'll go on. The work example. Yeah, the reason that I actually felt more stuck was, I think I was a bit of in a similar situation in a way. I worked for a company for like seven years, and then there was a lot of change happening, and I went through that. Like, should I pivot? Should I? What am I willing to do? I ended up changing uh, a workplace and went somewhere else. But what was interesting to me was that the same troubles, same fear, same problems actually exactly are there too. So one of the reasons that I was feeling stuck was that what could I have done differently in the process? I'm still not really certain about what so the best way was. That's Thank you the, for bringing up that. Yeah, that's the third aspect of wall that I brought up, of repetitive patterns, where it feels like we get into the same situation again and again. And we, have you know, has anybody noticed this? Yeah, I see a few nods. Um, and uh, after a few decades, you start getting the pattern, but then um, you, you wonder whether you have to keep doing that, right? So that's another form of wall. That's this channel that we get into. And it can be, it can be changed through awareness and some effort. Okay, so um, we're going to do a meditation now uh, that's uh, not one of the four that I want to teach. It's actually a, just a foundational, so it will be fairly short and guided for most of the time. Um, it's going to help connect us to our bodies since we've just ar- arrived All right, so finding a posture that is comfortable and you'll be able to be in for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. Um, If you're comfortable doing so, please close your eyes. And allow your body to come into a level of alertness and relaxation that are both there. So some straightness to the posture, kind of a noble, upright posture, but then relax into it, perhaps on the out-breath. So allowing the shoulders to be somewhat at ease, no bracing in the legs. We may, from the inside, connect to the place where we're sitting. So feeling the foundation that you're sitting on 
your seat against the chair or the cushion, your legs or your feet against the floor. It's okay to shift a little bit to really sense that you've centered yourself on that foundation, kind of finding that middle point where you don't feel like you're leaning in any direction. And allowing yourself to feel supported. So using the, changing your perception, using the skillful perception of being held up by the, ultimately by the earth. And then bringing a sense of softening to the body to whatever degree it can. So softening, for example, the eyes and the eye sockets. Letting go of the strain of looking or of thinking that often appears in the eyes. Softening the expression on the face by softening the muscles around the eyes, the muscles of the forehead around the mouth and the jaw. Softening the throat and the collarbones. The shoulder joints. Letting the shoulder blades slide down the back. Releasing the diaphragm. down into the belly area, allowing the belly to be round, letting it go forward, sink down farther into the abdomen, and also letting the muscles of the lower back relax. So there's almost a falling away on both sides of the spine. down into the hip joints and the groin muscles, into the thighs, the knees and the calves and Achilles, and all the way into the feet. Letting the feet and the hands both be soft and open. So we'll be working this morning largely in the realm of the simple sensations that come into our sense doors. Things like hearing, touch, the inner bodily senses. And in this realm, we can also make skillful use of perception. We can deliberately open to certain ways of seeing There may be um, emotions coming also, and those are fine. Um, We can allow them, but often it's helpful to feel the emotions in the body to make sure that you have that component of them. And thoughts, we, we see mostly as things that can come and go. The main focus is on the simple sensations.
So we can begin by connecting to the simple sensations of breathing. It's a flowing, changing sensation. Very simple. The, the, the more elemental elements of it are the coolness as it touches the nostrils or the upper lip. Sensations of it moving through the nasal passages, down through the throat. It may go down into the chest or even the belly as a sense of expansion, which we feel as tension. We may feel a shift of our clothing against the skin because the body changes shape. So these kinds of sensations. On the out-breath, there's a sense of relaxation, falling of the chest. There can be a feeling like lowering oneself into the body, like lowering into a warm pool of water. However the breath is, is fine. If it's shallow or if it's deep, if it's slow or if it's faster, short or long, it's all fine. There's no wrong way to breathe. And as we rest with the simple sensations, we may feel the breath something like an inner massage. Just allowing it to flow through wherever it flows, in and out. Doesn't have to be just the physical lungs. Breath energy can go in other places in the body. As we begin to settle in, it's helpful to take a moment to connect to your to your aspiration in practice, even to your deepest wish. A sense of goodness, maybe a wish for our our own happiness and well-being, a wish for deep peace, and just breathe into this. We may feel other sensations in the body. Maybe that the breath is flowing through other sensations. That's fine. We can open also to the sense of the body sitting, its physicality, again in a sense of simple sensations. And if we feel any, any physical tension or knots, or if we feel any mental resistance or, or agitation or dulling out in you know, ways that the mind is trying not to be here, it's very important not to be averse to these things. Um, we don't 
We don't work with walls with an attitude of wanting to get rid of them. That kind of aversion doesn't actually work. A better alternative, whatever we're experiencing right now, is to uh, to have an attitude of curiosity, mm-hmm. or at least interest, a sense of okayness. It's okay that this is here. It's okay to experience it directly as simple sensations, just like this. And it's okay to be somewhat flexible, to open to different views or perceptions. So staying with the breath and the body sensations in a very simple way, allowing And if you'd like, you can extend the awareness a little bit outside the body into the space around. You might experience, try perceiving the body as breathing through the entirety of the skin. The body sitting in space on the ground that's supporting it. And as you reconnect with the room, you can, if it feels comfortable, you can keep this sense of openness, of allowing awareness to be just a little bigger than the body. So we have a, um, we'll have a little break in just a few minutes, but I wanted to say a little bit more. Um, In this work that we're doing today, the angle of approach matters a lot, which is somewhat what I was trying to set up. It's a lot like diving into water. So if we do the belly flop, ouch. Um, But if we, you know, if we dive with our hands first and our body and the right angle and somewhat straight, then we'll just cut into it smoothly and we can slide right in. This is... um, you'll find this to be a nice visceral image when working with these things that feel stuck or feel like walls. Another analogy is um, the material that... Did anybody ever play with Silly Putty? Um, When you were younger, yeah, I see a few hands. So, well, even the young people have seen it. That's great. (laughs) Um, So there's this stuff called Silly Putty, and it's... um, You know that when you stretch it slowly, it's soft and pliable, and you can do things with it. But um, the material itself was actually quite interesting in that if you strike it with a hammer, 
You don't even have to freeze it first. I know some people used to do that. But if you strike it with a hammer, I think even at room temperature, it will shatter um, with a quick enough blow. And that is because the material responds differently depending on the speed with which you exert force on it. So it's not a physics lesson. But when you hit it hard with the hammer, um, the force is very fast and it, and it acts like a, like a shatterable object, like a vase. But if you exert the force slowly, then it stretches. So it's not so much... So the, the walls and the tensions and the mental habits that we have are analogous to this. They have different properties when they're approached differently. That's an important point. So the things that we're working with in our minds and bodies have actually different properties when we approach them differently. So a lot of what we need to learn is how to approach these things. Now, luckily, there is something very intelligent in our heart. Um, So if you're feeling like, I don't know how to do that, uh, don't worry. We don't actually really do the letting go That's the third noble truth, the truth of letting go of the cessation or the disappearance of suffering or stress or struggle. We don't actually do that ourselves as an act of will. Rather, the heart finds its way with us creating the right conditions. That's our job. (laughs) So we offer the conditions and we offer our trust and our aspiration and then we let the heart find its way. I want to offer this lovely quote from um, Lewis Thomas, who was a biologist. It's from his book, The Lives of a Cell. If I were informed tomorrow that I was in direct communication with my liver and could now take over, I would become deeply depressed. I'd sooner be told 40,000 feet over Denver that the 747 jet in which I had a coach seat was now mine to operate as I pleased. At least then I would have the hope of bailing out if I could find a parachute and discover how to open the door. But nothing would save me and my liver if I were in charge, for I am, to face the facts squarely, considerably less intelligent than my liver. I am constitutionally unable to make hepatic decisions, and I prefer not to be obliged to ever. I would not be able to think of the first thing to do. So it's a little bit amusing the way he wrote it but we get the point right and you couldn't really operate your body could you it's too hard i mean think of everything that's going on with the circulation and the digestion and the respiration and the endocrine there's no way thank goodness that all happens under the hood except you know it doesn't always work completely correctly but in the case of spiritual practice it's also true actually that we don't have to do it ourselves literally Um, We don't have that burden. But our task is to bring in the awareness and the trust and the aspiration and some skill in how we handle what arises. So willingness, capacity, and skill, if you will. So maybe maybe I'll just ask again as a brief reflection, again, just personal, um, what kind of, maybe what kind of question do you have today or what kind of aspiration is there having heard this and having done that first meditation where you touched into how you are today. So this is not an abstract question like, oh, this is where I think my life is. You're working actually with how you are today. Yeah. Okay, so my my hope at this time then, um, with this amount of setup, Well, maybe I'll just ask if there are any comments or questions. We're going to have a little break in a moment, and then I want to start with the first of the four meditations where we introduce different ways of perceiving and working with things. So are there any comments or questions before we have a little break? Yeah. I will just say thank you for reminding me that conditions, setting the conditions is important. I'm working on something Uh, I've been practicing for about a decade and I am uh, struggling with something for the last year and a half and knowing that though I trust in my practice I have seen that no matter how many times I come and go from the cushion I am I'm stuck and uh, I have just been reminded that you have to create the conditions sometimes you cannot force the outcome you just have to provide the conditions so thank you oh 
thank you for saying that so clearly. It's and born of experience also, yeah. Okay, great. So why don't we um why don't we take about ten minutes if anybody needs to use the restroom or anything and then we'll come back at um ten forty for our first meditation. Official meditation. <laughs> <laughs>